0: When you have a lower pH, that means your food is more acidic, which is important in food preservation. That helps to preserve the food product itself. It actually stops the spoilage and any disease-causing microorganisms, Well, at the same time, it actually changes the flavor of the food product. And so you end up with this really awesome, multi-layered flavored product. And so when you eat the kimchi, you're actually consuming this flourishing colony, this good bacteria, that's preserved the cabbage and other veggies for you.
1: Shannon Paradis, your host and founder of Learn, Laugh, Leap. And today we're covering food preservation, which I've been very curious about so I can start doing it myself. And I found a food preservation class through Minnetonka Community Ed, which is how I became connected to our guest today. Becky De La Cruz is a U of M extension master gardener volunteer for Hennepin County. Welcome Becky. Thanks Shannon. So talk a little bit about your background and how you became a master gardener.
0: I've always really loved gardening. I remember when I was a small child, my dad gardening. The neighborhood we lived in, there was an empty lot between our house and the neighbors and our neighbor actually owned that lot and she allowed my dad to use part of her garden space. So he was pretty famous for growing tomatoes and he planted a lot of flowers in the yard too. As a kid, God, I just remember going into the garden in the summers and just picking those tomatoes right out of the garden. And same thing with rhubarb. And as an adult, I have really pretty much always planted flowers in my ground and in pots around no matter where I've lived, even plants out on the deck when I lived in an apartment. And then when I have had the opportunity to live in a house, I've always had a veggie garden as well.
1: Becky has been retired for about six years. She was a registered nurse for about 20 years, and then did kidney dialysis training and global marketing. Once she retired, she joined one of the local Minneapolis garden clubs and got involved in some of their events. At one of these events, she spoke with a volunteer from the U of M Master Gardener Volunteer Program, and the volunteer encouraged Becky to apply to the program.
0: So. I did that fall. And so I was accepted into the program and was an intern last year and then became a certified master gardener volunteer at the beginning of 2021.
1: That's so fun. It's a whole new world that I'm getting exposure to that I never knew even existed. I have what some people would call a black thumb. So that's part of the reason why I'm so curious about this field, because it's something that I'm kind of, I've backed away from, I'm afraid of, because I've killed a lot of plants in my life. Um, I'd love to bring it down to layman's terms and dig into different food preservation methods for people to get a better grasp like myself who really have limited knowledge. I know there's older methods of preservation like drying and fermentation and then more modern methods like canning and freezing. I want to get into fermentation first. And you've mentioned when someone refers to fermentation, a lot of people think of sauerkraut or kimchi or kombucha but it covers a lot of foods in addition to those like pickles or cheese or beer or wine talk a little bit about that process. Sure
0: kimchi is something that people really have an have an interest in for example when you are making kimchi what you're doing is you're taking a bunch of different veggies and you're going to put them in a brine And a brine is actually made of salt and water. And sometimes you'll put some spices into it because kimchi does have a good kick to it. So you'll put all of this into a container that's appropriate for fermenting. What's really a key thing to mention is that the vegetables need to be kept completely under the level of the brine. So what happens with fermenting is it actually encourages the growth of good bacteria that's naturally found on veggies.
1: During fermenting, this bacteria works with sugar and carbohydrates that are already present in the food and then converted into lactic acid, carbon dioxide, and alcohol, and those lower the pH or acidity of the food.
0: When you have a lower pH, that means your food is more acidic, which is important in food preservation. That helps to preserve the food product itself. It actually stops the spoilage and any disease-causing microorganisms, well, at the same time, it actually changes the flavor of the food product. And so you end up with this really awesome, multi-layered flavored product. And so when you eat the kimchi, you're actually consuming this flourishing colony of this good bacteria that's preserved the cabbage and other veggies for you. A good advantage of fermenting is that it really helps with gut health by aiding in your overall digestion.
1: If you have some veggies that surface over the brine, then those are going to go bad if they're jarred and not covered. Is that right, accurate? Right, right.
0: There's a number of different types of fermenting containers out there. You can get get them at Home Depot or Target or online. I've heard people using the ceramic crock inserts of mm-hmm. their um, slow cooker as their fermenting container. But you need to have something, whether it's a plate or something to place on top of that to keep the veggies under the level of the brine and put some kind of a weight on top of that. So typically you'll use maybe a salt water brine that's inside of a large zipper type bag, or maybe jars filled with water. You just need that weight to keep the veggies underneath the level of the brine.
1: Got it. Let's go into drying or dehydrating. You've mentioned that this is a fairly easy process. The flavor that comes out of it is awesome.
0: Yes, definitely. I dried some pureed strawberries last night and made homemade strawberry leather, kind of like roll-ups.
1: Gosh, how cool.
0: Yeah, really, really great flavor. When you're dehydrating, there's three things that are really, really important. Your food has to be exposed to heat, low humidity, and the air needs to be able to freely circulate around it because you want to take the majority of the moisture out of those foods to properly dry them. Drying really works best with, any low moisture fruits and veggies and herbs are great to dry. Now you can use your own oven or air dry or use an electric dehydrator. Those are all possible dehydrating tools. People will ask about sun drying. That is a process to drying foods. However, in Minnesota, we really don't do that because our humidity levels are too high in the summer. And our nights uh, are we've actually been too we seeing a lot cool. of this summer. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And when you are getting ready to dry your foods, you want to retain that awesome color and flavor. So typically you'll pre-treat your fruits with ascorbic acid or honey, or maybe a fruit juice dip. And then veggies, what you'll do is you'll blanch them.
1: Blanching is like a steaming process. You dip the veggies in boiling water for one to two minutes, take them out, and plunge them into ice water to stop that cooking. This process helps to preserve the color, texture, and taste of the food. When
0: you dry foods, it really varies in the time that it takes, and it's really dependent on the moisture content of the food. So yesterday when I was doing the strawberry leather, uh, the recipe had told me to dry it anywhere from four to 12 hours. So that's a pretty wide spread of time, right? So you kind of have to test it after that initial time that's stated in your recipe, and then keep adding time to it if it's not at the proper drying amount. Now with drying foods, nutrients are retained and you can store it so easily. And actually the foods are pretty portable. So taking them camping or hiking and that type of thing. And what's great is a lot of the dried fruits can be eaten just as they are. Whereas usually veggies, typically you'll rehydrate them prior to eating. So for example, if you've dehydrated tomatoes or carrots, put them in manageable pieces so they can dry easily. But then let's say you're making a veggie soup sometime this winter. So then you'll just be dropping those items into your bra and reconstituting them, if you will. Dried foods. What's nice about them is they can be stored just on your shelf anywhere from four to twelve months, and you know that really depends on your storage conditions as well. You want to keep them in a cool and dry place,
1: basement or something like that.
0: Right. I actually have a little Harry Potter closet underneath my stairs steps that I've got. (laughs) tons of shelves in and that's where I put all my my canned and dried items.
1: She's a canning wizard Um, (laughs) and you shared with me that canning if we move to that topic it's more involved it's a little bit more expensive than the other techniques that we've covered. The expense comes in the glass canning jars with two-piece lids and your canner. correct. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so canning, you know, you're going to be spending more money up front, but that's items that you're going to be able to reuse. Obviously, you'll reuse your canner every time you can. The glass jars and then the screw top can be reused, but that flat seal on top is single use only. And this past year, none of the stores have just those seals that you can buy as replacements because canning, it exploded during COVID. So, but what's great about canning is that you can just preserve such an awesome amount of different foods that are shelf stable for about a year. Now, the way canning works is that the jars of food are heated for a period of time, and it depends on the process that you're using. There's boiling water canning, and then there's pressure canning. So when you're boiling water canning, obviously the water is at a 212 degree temp. When you're pressure canning, the fact that pressure is being exerted on it, you're allowed to get up to temps between 240 and 250 degrees. And that kills any illness causing microorganisms And it inactivates those enzymes, which cause the foods to spoil. So what happens is while you're heating your jars of food, air is driven out of the jar because your food inside the jar, as it's heated, it expands. So it drives that air out of the jar. And then once you remove it from your canner, the jar will cool. And that's when that vacuum seal occurs. I always say, however, and I mean, this is a really big, however, it's very important to understand that depending on the acid level of your food, your canning is actually going to determine if you do boiling water canning, or if you're required to pressure can it. And pretty much a general rule of thumb is that most fruits can actually be boiling water canned or processed. Veggies, meats, and mixed foods must be pressure can. Uh, one thing I, I need to mention here, and when I get the classes, I, I kind of harp on this, but you need to make sure that if you're pressure canning, that you're using a proper pressure canner. You do not use a multi cooker or a pressure cooker. I always say the name instant pot because I think people kind of recognize that quickly of what type of kitchen appliance that is but you cannot use those types of multi cookers as a pressure canner it needs to be identified specifically as a pressure canner
1: you say that freezing is the easiest and quickest method of food preservation so that's probably going to be where i start so let's dive into freezing
0: Freezing, like you said, I I believe it's the easiest and the least time consuming process. And, you know, to somebody who's really interested in, in preserving their food, whether it's from their own garden or whether they love going to our farmer's markets or a neighbor gives them some produce. I think a lot of times people get really confused with what process is going to be the best for me. So just do some, you know, investigating and see what those processes entail because some are more time consuming, some are more costly, and some their processes are much more detailed than others. So that's why I say, freezing is really probably the, the least time consuming and pretty much the easiest method. It also gives you the best quality flavor and texture and nutritional value of your foods, more so than the other methods. What happens is, As you're getting ready to freeze, same thing that we did in drying, you're going to blanch your vegetables to stop that enzyme breakdown. Fruit, you can treat with ascorbic acid or something similar to preserve that color and flavor. Again, very similar to what we did with drying. With freezing, if you want, you can toss them in sugar or you can create like say a light sugar syrup to pack it in for for better results.
1: Oh, hadn't heard of right. that before. Okay.
0: Yep. And make sure you use the right containers because you want to reduce that chance of freezer burn and you want to retain the food's moisture. Best containers are those that are sold as freezer containers because they're air and leak tight. Please don't use old margarine containers or cool up containers, that type of thing. They just don't work. And then the zip type freezer baggie is actually a perfect container to use as well. And when you do have your frozen foods, again, depending on the type of food that you're freezing, they can be kept anywhere from four to 12 months. Sometimes that also depends if you're using the freezer within your refrigerator or if you have an actual deep freeze itself
1: catch up. I want to get to why food preservation is important.
0: If we have a garden or if we're going to the farmer's market, it's great to be able to extend the life of that produce that we have because then we can enjoy them throughout the year. So for example, my family knows at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're going to have sweet corn that I froze during the summer. Love. Absolutely. Takes you back to summer and mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, that's for sure. And then, you know, we talked about how the produce can be quick to spoil because they have a lot of water. It sets them up to break down the flesh through those enzymes. And so what happens is when we preserve the foods, that stops that spoilage process. In addition, it actually turns your food into these great other products and you have a longer shelf life. For those products. There's a lot of allergies out there. And you know, when you go to the store and you start reading labels, it kind of makes you want to maybe grow your own food as well as preserve right. it because you know exactly what happened during that growing process. And what did you add or not add during your food preservation process. So to me, that's, that's really important. And then lastly, the food can be kept in reserve in the event of what I call interrupted supply lines. This is really an advantage in areas of the country and actually the world where there's severe storms such as hurricanes and flooding. And also, you know, this past year and a half, how we experienced those limited supplies of canned soups and fruits and veggies and that from the store. So... Those are some really solid reasons on why food preservation is really important.
1: Yeah. During COVID, I'm sure a lot of people felt like they were scrambling to learn these techniques as we get into a crisis situation and you don't want to be caught off guard. You want to be prepared. So if you Absolutely. can work on some of these skills to prepare for, and hopefully in our lifetime, we don't see anything that crazy again, but You just never know, so you want to be ready.
0: Right, exactly. Another thing too is we've seen a lot more food insecurity the past year and a half. We have a number of community gardens around, you know, the Twin Cities area. It's important that somehow, some way, we get some of the easy and cost-effective ways of food preserving out to the people that are using our community gardens because you know it ends up always being a feast or famine and it'd be nice if we would be able to allow people the opportunity to preserve their food to decrease the chances of that food insecurity throughout the year
1: and there have been a lot of documentaries about these food deserts and you would be surprised i mean a lot of them exist in your own backyard what would you say is the biggest challenge to preserving food
0: Well, I think we kind of already touched on it when I said that when you look at the big topic of food preservation, it can be very overwhelming. You have fermenting, you have canning. Oh, by the way, you have boiling water canning or pressure canning you know, what about freezing? What about fermenting? It just ends up being quite a bit overwhelming. So I think do your research, talk to some people, see what's involved with the different techniques, and see what's going to be a good fit for you. So in other words, how much money, time, and effort are you really wanting to invest in this? And how much storage space do you have? Because, you know, if you have a whole bunch of glass jars, and you live in a studio apartment, that might not work that well.
1: Becky emphasizes that no matter which preservation technique you use, you need to use tried and true researched recipes and don't deviate from the recipe or modify it.
0: The thing that makes me crazy is when I hear someone saying, I've used my grandma's strawberry jam recipe for for years and years. She's never used those two-piece metal lids and once she puts the jam in the jar, she just melts some paraffin on top of it and that's what I do. And nobody has ever gotten sick from eating her or my jam. Just because nobody's gotten sick from botulism doesn't mean it's a safe process or a recipe you should be following. Like I said, you need to use these tested recipes following the latest safety guidelines. I personally have canned and done food preservation for years and years. And when I took the food preservation certification class last year, there were some processes I was not doing exactly right. So just because we've done this for years and years doesn't mean it's really something we should continue to do. I think one of the best resources available is the National Center for Home Food Preservation website. They have that website in conjunction with the USDA.
1: On the homepage, you can go to How Do I, which leads to links for canning, freezing, etc. And the USDA has a booklet for the complete guide to home canning, and you can download or print the guide.
0: Other places for good recipes are any university extension website. So obviously I'll say the U of M extension website really is great with information and recipes, but so is the university of Wisconsin. So is university of Iowa. So again, it's important to follow these trusted recipes. And once you get the hang of it, then you can go back and look at grandma's strawberry jam recipe and make sure that there's the correct amount of Acid in it. And then obviously use more of a tried and true process, such as boiling water canning to do your jam versus just pouring melted paraffin on top, and that's it.
1: Those are awesome suggestions for resources, and I'll put links up on my website so that our listeners can use them. We talked about freezing and how that's a good place to start. If we're talking to a beginner, what types of foods are easy to preserve?
0: Freezing is probably the easiest and cheapest process. That's why there's frozen veggies and fruits in the grocery store. You know, typically those are frozen within hours of being picked. So you really do get high quality foods when you freeze. Let's say you've got some bananas sitting out and you start to see them to get past their ideal the peel starting to turn in that. What you can do is just take them, peel them, mash them up really well, add some ascorbic acid to it, and then put it in some kind of freezer container. Nothing's better than having good old banana bread, right? And then another example is blueberries or any of the berries. When you are preserving food. You want to make sure that you're getting ripe product without blemishes and that type of thing.
1: So sort through your blueberries. Make sure there aren't any stems or those gross mushed ones that look like they've been stuck to the bottom of your shoe all day. You know the ones I'm talking about. Also, don't wash your berries before you freeze them or the skin gets too tough.
0: Go ahead and pack them into your containers. Make sure you leave a headspace And what headspace is, is it's the volume of air between the top of the food and the top of your jar or your container. You need that for your foods to expand. And with blueberries or any kind of berries, frankly, you can actually freeze them first on, say, a a cookie sheet and then pack them into the containers as soon as they're frozen, seal them up and freeze them. And then, like I mentioned, with not washing the berries prior to freezing, you would obviously wash them then before you consume them.
1: The headspace, I... I hadn't heard that term. I know that you always leave a little bit of room, but I didn't know why.
0: Right. And when you're canning, typically your recipe tells you the amount of headspace that is needed between the food and your jar seal. And the reason why you need that is because as you process that food, remember you're heating up the food and it's going to expand. So you need that expansion room so it doesn't bust out of the jar during the processing.
1: And how can people contact you or sign up for one of your classes?
0: The University of Minnesota Hennepin County Master Gardener Volunteer Group is actually evaluating really the best way to advertise our our food preservation classes We'll probably be offering some classes, maybe the end of July, middle of August time frame. We're going to offer up a series of four different sessions, and they're two hours in length, and they will be via Zoom. The first one is Nuts and Bolts, and that's really an overview or intro class. That's where we go through all of the different processes of food preservation, and we talk about the equipment needed the procedures and storage methods. And it's really focused on beginners to kind of help you figure out what method you'd like to try out. The next class is called 212 Degrees and Beyond. This is our canning class. We focus on both boiling water and pressure canning. We talk about the equipment, the food choices and suitable recipes. The third class is called Brine Ambition. And this really digs deeper into both vinegar pickling and fermenting techniques and how they preserve the foods. As with the others, we talk about proper equipment, good food choices, how you prep the food, and then suitable recipes. And our last class was going to be focused on both dehydrating or drying and freezing. The best way to see our upcoming classes that are open to the public are on the event page of the Hennepin County Master Gardeners website.
1: There you can email the group or go on Facebook and join the U of M Extension Hennepin County Master Gardeners group page.
0: We will be announcing future classes there. Also, some of the local community ed groups typically partner with us and offer some of these classes throughout the year.
1: Becky has been gracious enough to offer an example of a tomato and the different ways that you can preserve it. And I'm going to put that on social media and my website as well. So you can take a look at freezing, drying, canning, and fermenting a tomato and just step-by-step process. So I am very excited to try my hand at food preservation. And I hope that this conversation has inspired other people to start as well. Becky has specifically requested that we do this recording early so she can do what she loves and get out into her garden. Right, Becky? Need <laughs> <You> that. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and Yay. be well.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Shannon.